Hello and welcome to the TIC Midweek Podcast. My name is Peter Palma and I'm the pastor of TIC. And this is our series, Encounters with Jesus. And today we are looking at the story of the man healed at the pool of Bethesda. It's found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, the exact uh, pools are, we're not certain, but what they believe is, is that there are the twin pools beneath St. Anne's Monastery in Jerusalem are the location. There are these two pools as big as a football field and about uh, three meters, three and a half meters deep. And so on the, around these pools, there are five porticos or porches uh, where you'd have men and women. And, you know, these porticos are a place where people would gather. So if, if you think of Taipei Main Station, within the station, there's the, the, the floor area where people sit. They eat together. They talk. They meet. Uh, homeless people gather around main station. This is the type of place uh, that this pool was. And in verse 3 tells us that specifically uh, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, there are a few different words here to describe the people who are sick. So blind, obviously, are, are people who can't see. The lame, that word in Greek refers primarily to people who their disability is related to a, a part of their body that does not work. It does not function. Whereas the paralyzed refers to people who... Uh, their disability is rooted in disease. Through disease, they were unable to walk or to use their body. And so there's a man there who's been an invalid for 38 years. After 38 years, you give up hope that you're going to recover. And so he's at this pool. In verse 6, Jesus sees him and, and it says, uh, When Jesus saw him there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Now, we don't know how Jesus learned. It could be through asking another person. It could be that he engaged this man in a conversation. Um, what this place was, this pool, was people believed that an angel would come down and stir up the pool. And so when the water was stirred up, if you were the first person to get into the water, you would get healed. It's a, a superstitious that somehow the power of God is present in that pool uh, when it's bubbling up. And actually what may have been happening is, is that the pool had uh, contact with a spring. And so when the spring fed water into the pool intermittently, um, there would be bubbles or stirring. But somehow this turned into the belief that if you're the first person in, you can get healed. And so Jesus is asking, do you want to get healed? And it's interesting that there is a, a crowd of sick people uh, in this place, you know, all kinds of disabled people, and yet Jesus is only having a conversation with one man. He's not healing everyone. Uh, he's not talking with everyone. He's talking with one man. And the lame man responds in verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool 
when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, it's clear from his response that he does not understand Jesus' question. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Uh, When Jesus is asking if you want to get well, it's far more than just your physical body. Uh, Not only does this man have a physical body, he's got a soul, he's got a spirit, and Jesus has come to make the whole person well. But this man, you know, it's kind of like he's grumbling, complaining, and he's saying, well, he doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. He's probably got this attitude of, what a stupid question. What do you think I'm doing here at this pool? Of course I want to get well, you know, but he, he says, I can't because nobody is here to help me. You know, this man sees himself as a victim. He doesn't realize that he is speaking to the one who will speak a word for him to be healed. Uh, He has no clue who Jesus is. He has no faith whatsoever, no belief. Uh, His faith is negative. He actually believes that nothing can happen to him. Uh, He's probably bitter at life, angry at God, and yet he's there at this pool somehow hoping he can get into it, but he knows he can't. Well, Jesus doesn't get into a theological conversation with him. Uh, Jesus just said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now in Isaiah 35, 6, it says, in that day the lame will leap like a deer. And it's it's looking forward to the day when the Messiah comes, when God makes things right, uh, when his kingdom is established, and the lame, you know, people who are paralyzed, people whose bodies are broken, are restored and healed, and there's no longer paralysis or disability. And Jesus speaks this word, and it says in verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Uh, this is without delay, without lag time. It's it's not partial. It's immediately uh a a profound healing this man who had no faith this man who had no expectation this man who had no idea who jesus is is completely and totally healed and it tells us that the day on which this took place was a sabbath and so the jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed it is the sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat so this man uh is he Jesus tells him get up take you know pick up your mat go home he he does that he gets up but it doesn't tell us what happens to Jesus until a little bit later we we find that Jesus disappeared into the crowd but this man uh his response is to go home he's walking through Jerusalem uh with uh, his mat under his arm and he it happens to be the Sabbath day and on the Sabbath uh work is forbidden but the Old Testament does not define what work is. Uh, usually it is what you do for your employment. Um, we would say that is work. Um, but the Pharisees came up with 39 different classes of work, including carrying anything from one domain to another. And so, you know, the, he's carrying the mat from one place to another. They consider this work. And so they're saying he's... He's breaking the law. They're telling him to stop it. And the, the man responds. It says, verse 11, he replied, The man who made me well 
said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so he's deflecting it onto Jesus, but he doesn't even know who Jesus is because in verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Now, this is fascinating because their response is not, how were you healed? You've been an invalid for 38 years and this man just told you to get up and walk and you've been healed. Uh, instead, they want to know, who is this guy who told you to break the Sabbath? And so what we have on two sides, we have this one, the man who sees the disconnection between God and his power in this superstition that if I'm next to the pool, when the water's stirred, I can get healed. I can access God's power disconnected from who God is. On the other hand, we've got these Pharisees who see this man get healed. They witness the power of the miracle, and yet they don't care. They, they don't care about the fact that this man can walk now. What they're angry about is is that he's walking on the Sabbath. So the 38 years of not being able to walk mean nothing. The one day that he gets healed and it's on the Sabbath and he carries his mat, that is the problem. And so they are doing the same thing. They are divorcing God's power. They're disconnecting God's power from his person and assuming uh, that this is a problem because someone is accessing God God's power and breaking the Sabbath. And it, it doesn't draw either of these men closer to God. It doesn't draw the Pharisees closer to God. It, it doesn't draw this man closer to God. They see the miracle and experience the miracle, but instead of responding to God, they get harder. And we see this in verse 13. Well, verse 13, it says, the man had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Uh, but verse 14, it tells us later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, there's a couple things of, uh, of grace here. One is that Jesus went to him first. This man had no faith, no expectation, no idea who he was talking to, and Jesus healed him anyway. Uh, there are times where it doesn't matter what the level of faith is. God heals out of compassion and love for a person. Now, the fact that Jesus goes and finds him again, it says Jesus found him. This is the second work of grace. This man did not go to seek God after he experienced the miracle. Instead, he's sinning. But Jesus doesn't leave him. Jesus comes and finds him and warns him. So he's warning him, which is an act of grace. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So he gets this miracle. He, get, he gets this profound healing. And instead of responding to God, he, he disobeys God. My guess is, you know, and this is my personal guess. It's not in the text, but I have a, I have a guess that this guy is uh, engaging in some partying or debauchery or he is doing things that he could not do as an invalid, and he's doing them now. Uh, the scholars uh, that I read, you know, see this as a general prohibition against sinning and not a specific warning, but I have a feeling that God, Jesus, knows what he's been doing, and what he's been doing is sin. He's saying, stop it, or something worse may happen to you. And, and this is an act of grace, the grace of God to come and find this man who... 
in response to the miracle of God, the grace of God is sinning more. But Jesus is saying, look, if you, if you continue this, there is something worse than 38 years of not being able to walk. Um, now this man, it says in verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So why does this man do this? Why in the world? He, he's ratting Jesus out to the authorities instead of being grateful, instead of responding with worship, instead of repenting, he goes and makes trouble for Jesus. This miracle does not cause the man to seek God. Instead, it hardens his heart. His heart is hard. And yet Jesus is still warning him. Do you see the grace of God that, you know, this man has a choice. God has entered into his life. God has revealed himself to him and he has a choice. And instead of responding, he sins. Instead of seeking Jesus, he, he creates trouble for Jesus. And it's the same way with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees witness, here's a man who could not walk for 38 years. And instead of going to Jesus and asking, you know, how is it that you were able to do this? It says in verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Their response to a miracle of this nature is not to worship God, is not to say, oh, wow, we are seeing the power of God among us. God is working through this man. Instead, they persecute him because he's breaking the rules, because he's breaking the tradition, because he's making them uncomfortable, because he's not doing it their way. They think that Jesus is hijacking the power of God and that he's exploiting the power of God for his own purpose. And they don't realize, just as the man was superstitious, thinking you could uh, just access the power of God in water, they are believing the same thing, that somehow Jesus is hijacking the power of God, and it's not really God who's healing this man, because God would not heal a man on the Sabbath. God would not tell a man to carry his mat on the Sabbath. God would not tell a man to break the rule. That is what they're thinking, and they're blind to the fact that it's God who healed the man, that Jesus is working with God. It says in verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus is saying, look, my father is doing the work through me, and this infuriates them. Because now Jesus is making himself equal with God. It says in verse 18, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So now he's not just a Sabbath breaker, he's a blasphemer. Um, and so they want to kill him. Can, can you believe this? Their response to the miracle of God to someone, a man getting healed, to something that's impossible, is to kill the one who did it because he didn't do it their way. He didn't do it in their box. Their understanding of God is God only does it this way at this time, and he never does it on the Sabbath. And so if you do it on the Sabbath, you are breaking the law and you cannot be from God. They totally miss it. They don't realize that you cannot disconnect God from his power. You cannot hijack his power to heal someone. If Jesus is healing, it is the power of God. 
and so, you know, this raises a, a bunch of questions for us that, that we can look at. One is, where and when is God expected to work his power? As we look at the text, Jesus says, my father is always working to this day, and so am I. Uh, so Jesus is telling us that the father's always at work. Where and when is God expected to work his power? Another question we can ask is, how is God's power connected to who he is? How is God's power connected to who he is? And then what is the right response to God's power? Uh, In this story, we see this man's response to God's power is to go on sinning. Well, how does Jesus respond to that? When you experience a miracle and you keep on sinning, what does Jesus do? And what is the lesson there for us? And, And maybe you can share with your group, when have you experienced a miracle? in your life. It could be healing. It could be financial provision. It could be getting a job that was impossible, getting into school, finding a house, uh, a relationship that was restored. All of us have experienced miracles where God is intervening in our life to do something that was impossible for us to do. And so when that happens, how do we respond to it? What is the opportunity there for this man Uh, The fact that God healed him after 38 years, it was his opportunity to give gratitude to God, to seek the Lord. But instead of doing that, he kept on sinning. The other thing we see is the response of the Pharisees. And we want to put ourselves in their shoes and and say like, okay, am am I ever thinking this way where the rules get broken or it makes me uncomfortable or I don't like the way we're doing something, yeah, maybe someone's getting healed. Maybe, okay, God is healing this person's knee or, or, or this person's back, but I don't like it because it's not happening in the way that it should happen. Um, do, do we ever respond that way? Do I ever think like that? And what we want to do is, is recognize, okay, I could respond like this man. I could also respond like the Pharisees. But how does Jesus want me to respond when I witness a miracle? It's very clear in the text. Stop sinning. (laughs) Stop sinning. The response that Jesus wants is for us to pursue God. And so in your connect groups, you'll be able to talk about this. And what does it mean to pursue greater obedience in response to witnessing a miracle? And how have you seen that in your own life? Well, it should be a great discussion and uh, our next episode is from John chapter 9, where we see a man, the right response to a miracle. So John 5 is the wrong response. John 9 next week is going to be the right response.